How many of you know core value number one? We are a church of... Last week, we are a church of the... The manifest presence of God. You were right. Some of you said the Holy Spirit. Some of you just said presence. We're a church that believes and encourages the presence of God. Amen? To move in our services. And uh, I loved it this morning in our our men's class. We were anointing people with oil, laying hands on one another, praying and believing. Folks, God's moving. Presence of God. It's important. Amen? Amen? This morning, we're going to cover number three. Again, these are not on levels of importance. It's just an order because we have to be orderly. But uh, they're all on the same level of importance. Love is important. The power of God and His presence is important. And the Word of God, which is what we're talking about today, is important. All of these, uh, all of these influence one another for us to stay on track. Our core values, our guardrails on a road that if we start to get off track, the, the, the value of love, the value of the Word of God, the value of the presence of God, excuse me, should should bump us back on track. Amen? Amen. So that's, that's, uh, it's very important for us to understand these, to know these, but not to just uh, know these as an organizational principle or value, but these should be our values as individuals. As Christians, these should be our values. To love people. To love God, to love people. These are the values of a, of a believer. To walk in the power and presence of God every day. That should be a value of each one of us. And today's value is the same way. The Word of God must be the authority in our lives. It can't just be an organizational thing. Well, well I go to a church where the Bible is preached. And, and I tell you what, that pastor, bless God, he just tells you the truth and just tells you like it is. And, and, uh, and that's just the way I like church. Well, my question is, is do you live that way once you leave the church? Amen? The Word of God can't just be something that we enjoy to hear proclaimed here. It needs to be something that we live out there. It's got to be something that, that I open up the Bible and feed upon myself. Now this church, I can say this honestly because this is the only church that I've ever known as a child. I came here. I sit in y'all Sunday school classes. Y'all remember. I loved it. I told you that. Connie, uh, Julian, I think is our Wednesday night crowd. Connie's been through a lot in the last year, physically, basically all of her organs taken out and put back in and dealing with cancer and everything else. And, and uh, she's got no cancer and doing well and growing and stronger and so on and so forth. And we talked about this one Wednesday night, how miraculous that is. And I said, the good thing is she's starting to get her skunk, her skunk, her spunk back. <laughs> she's starting to get her spunk back. And I, yeah, her skunk. <laughs> That's you, Tanessa. You're her skunk. I'm just kidding. She's starting to get her spunk back because I, I was there last time I was there visiting her and we were talking. She said, yeah, I remember you as a little kid in my Sunday school class. I thought I was going to have to nail you to the chair. So, well, Connie's feeling better. I sit there very nicely, though, when I talked with her the other day. So it was okay. I've been in this church my whole life. And, I, and, and from I'm telling you folks, from the youngest age all the way up, the kids in our church... They get Jesus. They get the Scripture. They're taught the Bible. That's just how it is. Has always been that way. All the way up through Genesis Kids Church, Pastor Carla is not babysitting over there right now. 
She is purposeful. Her and her team are very purposeful of making sure the kids are exposed to the gospel, that they know who Christ is. There are certain points and certain principles that she teaches regularly over and over and over, over a period of years. She's purposeful in that. All of our departments, from the youngest all the way up, Pastor Zach and Amanda are doing a tremendous job with our youth, with with, uh, uh, small groups on Wednesdays, discipleship groups, and then they go into a service that's designed specifically for them so that they're receiving principles and truths, biblical teachings. Nobody teaches is anything from opinion in this church. Just the way it is. I remember being a little kid downstairs in those rooms, little room. I remember it with the bathroom folks used to have to walk up on stage just to use it because it was high enough to go out. But anyway, that was before I understood gravity. Uh, but now, you know, it's all changed down there, but there was a little bitty room. And I remember going into this little bitty room with a round table. And it had giant feet on it, like almost like a monster feet round table in the middle, and this giant round wooden table. And I remember sitting in little chairs uh, around that table with Leah and with, uh, I think Tina taught in there too. Is that right, Tina? Did you teach me in that class? I think so. Yeah, you weren't old enough. I know. You were only 12 at the time. And so, all I know is that Tina did teach me in, in kids' church, and she said, You were awful. That's all she said. But from the time I was a little guy, you got the word. I remember sitting there and there's the flannel graph board and they said, yes, we're talking about Daniel and the lion's den today. And, and this is Daniel. And you're looking at the picture of Daniel and listen to the teacher and looking. And then it's like, yes. And, and he, he kept praying anyway. And then there's a, a picture of Daniel praying. And then they're throwing Daniel in the lion's den. You're like, oh my goodness, what's going to happen next? And then they show the lions like, ah, and, but Daniel, but God, God sent an angel. Boom, and they throw the angel up there and it's shutting the lion's mouth. And you're like, Yes. And then I became a pastor. <laughs> Folks, listen. In all levels, that's, that's who we are here. We don't just babysit. We don't just play games. We don't just, whatever level it is, on every level, even on Wednesday nights, Sunday school, uh, for our adults, we are hopefully in every facet making sure that somebody's leaving this place with a word. That's always been the standard for this church. I've sat in here. I, I've sat in these rows and listened to preachers preach. I've sat and listened to truth. I've wrestled with those truths. I've chewed on those truths. I've had to believe those truths for myself. And, and folks, I've sat in those situations and I know that the Word of God has always been taught here, whether you like it or not. Can I just say thank you to you today? I, I want to say thank you because I have no fear up here. Maybe that's not a good thing. <laughs> but I have no fear of you. If it's in the Word, I'm going to preach it. If it ain't in the Word, I'm not going to preach it. And if I accidentally do, I've got five board members going to say, Hey, Pastor, come here, let's talk for a second. Why did you say that? It's like, well, I don't know, I just was off. Well, we probably need to set that right. Amen? But I am not afraid to teach on any topic that's in the Word of God. Why? Because this church has always been founded on, on the Word of God. The Word is the authority. Not social issues, not social justice, not whatever anybody else likes to talk about in the world. The Word is the truth. Unapologetically, we love God. We're going to serve God. This is His Word. It's eternal. It's authoritative. And it's for us. And we have to believe it. That's who we are. So my question again, is that you and your life? Do you look at the Word and see that as being important and valuable in your personal life? Is this a core value for you and not just an organizational thing for me? For the church, we are an Assembly of God church. 
One of our 16 fundamental truths is that we, the, the authoritative word. We believe the word of God is, is inspired by God, written down as men were led by the Holy Spirit. We believe it is our authoritative rule of conduct and living. The Assemblies of God believes that. Now, I hope and pray that every AG church in the, in the United States and the world, as a minister gets up in the pulpit today, uh, I hope they agree with that and live that way. But I can't. I have no control over them. I only have control what happens here today. And I hope that every believer that leaves an AG church believes that today and lives it. Well, I don't have control over anybody else, and I don't have control over you. If I did, we're a cult. Look into my eyes. I don't have control over you, but I, as your pastor, I will plead with you. I will implore you. I will beg you to make the Word of God your rule of living in your life. Manage your life with it. Govern your life with it. Govern your finances with it. Govern how you raise your children and and how you discipline your children, how you discipline yourself, how you discipline uh, even your spouse and yourself holding each other accountable, others, so on and so forth. Folks, make it the rule of your life. And I can promise you, I can promise you that no matter what comes your way and in your path, that there will be wisdom here for you, There'll be strength here for you. There'll be overcoming power here for you if you'll just obey it. So you say, Pastor, why is this important? 2 Timothy chapter 3 and 2 Timothy 4. I'm not going to read all of it this first time through, but just for time's sake at this point. But we're going to read all these verses in this, uh, in this, these passages today. And basically what all this is, is is Timothy writing, I mean, Paul writing Timothy, his last letter. He's he's given Timothy his dying words here. Paul knew he was going to die for his faith. He knew he was going to go be with Jesus. And folks, how many of us know that deathbed things are not frivolous? My last words spoken to my family when I'm on my deathbed, if I'm given that opportunity, are not going to be frivolous words that are selfish or unimportant. They're going to be to the point. They're going to be direct. They're going to be what is the most important thing that I can impart to my wife, to my children, to my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, and my great-great-grandchildren. And my great-great-great-grandchildren, because I'm going to live a long time. What is it? And Paul, as he's pinning Timothy, he says, what can I say to Timothy? And this is what he says, verses 14 and 15. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. In other words, don't get sidetracked, Timothy. You, Timothy... With a Greek father and a Jewish mother, you know the Scriptures because she taught them to you. And your, grandma, your grandmother taught them to you. And you know that they're able to make you wise. How many of us know there needs to be some wisdom in our world today? Amen. Wisdom unto salvation first, but just wisdom, period. You know, I, I, the inauguration of President Trump. I watched... I watched his speech, and I watched things happen. And uh, 
If you know I watched Assembly of God ministers trash each other with Scripture online in front of everybody else to see in the whole world, back and forth, I wanted to jump through my computer and grab necks. There's no wisdom in that. What wisdom is there in that? Using the Scripture twisted to argue a political view. Shut your mouth and your fingers. Stop it. And then I saw another minister who was excited about something God was doing in his church. He's a young minister, and he got some people pouring some things into him that I don't fully agree with biblically either, but he was excited about what God was doing and wanted to share what he was doing. But because of what he shared, he might have been off a little bit doctrinally from what I agree with, and he got attacked by other ministers on his Facebook page, correcting him in front of everybody that follows him in his church. It's like, bro... Okay, I agree with the one that corrected him, but do it in a private message. A little bit of wisdom. Just like, so then he's back, and then other ministers start jumping in. Folks, I am sick and tired of ignorance. And if we will simply apply the word to our lives, but with love and the presence of God connected with it, we wouldn't be so ignorant. Yes, I said ignorant. Because there's ignorant, and then there's ignorant. It's ignorant. You say, why did you say that? Because we must continue. Everybody say continue. We've got to continue in what we believe. It's so easy to get off track. We've got to apply the Word of God to our lives, the whole Word of God, and then we have to act in wisdom, in wisdom that leads us to salvation. We cannot read the Word of God as a literary art form. We cannot read the Word of God as some kind of a historical document, even though it's historical. We must see it as the Word of God and see that it is living and that it is active and that it is sharp. sharpness is not to attack one another with it's to turn on ourselves amen and that's the wisdom of it we must allow ourselves to read the word of god for what it is and first assembly has always been a church it's a place where the word has been taught contextually and without compromise 100% of the time and if these are the dying words of paul to timothy saying listen continue covington first continue in what you believed Continue in what you've been taught. Continue in where you, you found salvation as a child or as a teenager or a young adult or wherever. It may. Continue in that. Don't get caught up in other things. Paul didn't write Timothy and tell him about uh, ministry structures and paradigms and, and seeker-friendly agendas and anything like that. He said, teach the Word of God. It's enough. It's able, it's able Timothy, to make you wise unto salvation. The wisdom in it is this, Father, I've sinned and I've fallen short of the glory of God. The wisdom is a seeing yourself for what you are. The wisdom is, is knowing who to turn to in Christ. And the wisdom is, is knowing how I turn to Him and humbly humble myself before Him and how I confess myself before Him and how He will save me. It's all right there in the Word. Amen. So we must continue, and I challenge this church that I give you my pledge as your pastor, we're going to continue to teach the Word here. And I give you my pledge as a leader of this church over our children's ministry and our youth ministry, we're going to keep that pledge to preach the truth. But as your pastor, I also ask you and I beg you and I implore you, open it up yourself. You know, Pastor Don always talks about and tells a story. I think I've told you, I know I've told you this before 
He's told it before. He tells lots of stories over and over. And everybody laughs at the same story every time because we love Pastor Don and we don't want him to feel bad. I expect the same privilege from you today. (laughs) Pastor Don said that there was a time uh, several years ago when a minister called him from another district outside of our state and said that he's looking for a new church and wanting to know if there's any openings there in Indiana. And uh, he said, well, he said, I don't have any openings at the moment, but, you know, why, why are you leaving your church? I mean, what's going on? And he says, through the conversation, eventually says, you know that my church expects me to have a fresh new word every time I get in the pulpit. He said, really? And he said, yeah. And he said, well, then I can tell you now that Indiana probably would not be a good fit for you because we expect all of our ministers to have a fresh word from God when they get in the pulpit. (laughs) How would you like it if pastor always just kind of showed up and just kind of talked off the cuff? Some of you are saying, isn't that what you do every week? (laughs) Kind of like right now, sometimes I do. But what if I had nothing for you? You know, I can tell you this, that, that, that circumstances, crises, deaths, those things aren't scheduled. And as we're about ready to read, I've gotten ahead in my notes, but as we're about ready to read here, that we need to feed ourselves because we have to be ready in season and out of season to preach the word. Because those things don't schedule themselves. Nobody calls you and says, hey, can you clear your calendar uh, two and a half weeks from now? I'm planning on experiencing death in our family, and, and we're going to need you there. Hey, could you, could you do this? Or hey, could you clear this out? Because we're expecting a, a crisis with my child. or with so No, those things aren't planned. Jesus was always going someplace when those things popped up. His day was interrupted. But see, ministers see it as interruption. God sees it as a divine appointment. And so Jesus would stop and he would heal. He would minister to and do all these wonderful things. Why? Because he was the word. But if you and I will allow ourselves to feast on the word and to feast on the presence of God and power of God, then when those crises pop up, we'll have something for our friends and family. When we walk into that hospital room, we walk into that living room of that home, when we walk into that jail cell, when we have those moments, then we're going to have something for them and say, listen, The Word of God says this. I just read this last week, or I just read this the other day, and and the Lord spoke this to me, but I see why now. Listen, hear this, and and receive it. The only way we're going to be able to do that is if, if we're walking in love enough to speak, if we have the presence of God enough in our lives to quicken our minds to remember that we actually opened the Bible and read it, and it's our authority to remind us of it and love them enough to speak it to them. Amen? It's our core values. It's who we are. So secondly, we must remember... We've got to continue, and now we must remember the authority of Scripture. I've already hit on this a little bit, but 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. People get lost in this one because they have devalued the Scriptures. People don't like to teach it. 
They don't like to uh, discipline with it. Parents have a hard time disciplining with the Word because they're not in the Word. Listen, parents, the best thing you can do for your young children, hear me on this, is not to teach them how best to throw a baseball or swing a baseball bat or throw a football or tackle or volleyball or, or you name it, any sport, basketball, how to follow through shooting a free throw is not the most important thing you can teach them. You know, we get out all the books when it comes down to form and, and when it comes down to technique and all these things. Folks, there's a form and technique book that's sitting on your shelf collecting dust. Amen? I don't mean that against sports. You know me, I'm, 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 a, I'm a sport nut. I like sports. I think they build some good things in our kids and character. But the problem is, is when we make that our all in all, nobody ever opens the word. How are we going to discipline our children correctly, parents, if we never open it? It's the authority. And not to mention the authority. If we're not going to teach and train with this authority now, how do we expect them to live by the authority of the Word when they get out of our house if we never open it up before them? You know what my daughter's heard a lot lately? She loves getting brought up in sermons. She's not in here. She's helping with kids' church, so she don't even know. She's going off college, folks. She's going to graduate this spring. She gone. You know what I'm saying? She gone. And sometimes she says, you, mom, you guys disgust me. You can't even wait for me to get out of the house. (laughs) So what's your point? So the things we talk about is, and have, especially April, she's she's really good about being on her with this. I do too. They say, so uh, where's your devotions this week? Have you been on your devotions? You realize coming up next fall, we're not going to be there to ask you or even know that you've been in the Word. You better have this now and be ready to go now. You better be in a habit now because come next August, you're going to be overwhelmed. Over September, you're going to be overwhelmed with other things. And this better be ingrained in you as a part of your life. She's been doing it on her own for a lot of years. We've been working with that a long time ago. But folks, it's time. (laughs) So that Word has to become authority to them. It's not just mom and dad. Well, I'm going to upset mom and dad. No. Your creator. That's who you're accountable to. So we have to start now. And then impart it. And then release it. And folks, it's got to be the authority now. Why? Why is it the authority? Because it is God-breathed. Oh, I love this. I love how it says it. All scripture is God-breathed. And when God breathes in something, folks, it becomes alive. It becomes eternal. It becomes spirit-filled. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. The King James Version says, became a living soul, meaning he was alive and he was eternal. And if God's breath does that, in John 20, verse 22, and with that he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, and they received. If that's the power of the breath of God, those of you that have been reading through the Bible in a year with us, you saw last week in the book of Psalms that it says, he uncovered covers the foundations of the earth with a blast of his nostrils. In other versions, it says the pith of his nose. Sorry about that. Bad day to do a farmer blow, I can tell you that. (laughs) When God breathes into something, it's eternal. When God breathes on something, it's powerful. 
And we must allow the Word of God to be living and active, just like it talks about in Hebrews. But in John 1, get, get this, Jesus Himself was the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. Why, why was there life? It was the breath of God. It was, it was God Himself. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it or perceived it not. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only who came from the father full of grace and truth catch this this morning the word of god is jesus jesus is the word of god and this record that we hold in our hands is 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 powerful it's full of his spirit it's full of who he is and revelation of who he is when you open up your bible and you run your fingers over those pages they were eternally written down by god before the foundations were laid it was a plan by god before the foundations were laid he ministered to men who wrote by the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Those words that sit before you are eternal. They are full of power. They are able to change your life and save you for all eternity. The Pharisees and Sadducees stood in front of Jesus and asked who he was. And he said, do you believe Moses? And they said, we believe Moses. And he said, Moses spoke of me. Amen. Believe me. And obey me and allow the power of my life to transform you. When you hold those words in your hands, child of God, you are holding in your hands not just a book. Even though it's historical, it's not just historical. Even though there's psalms and there's poems and things in there, it's not just a song book and it's not just poetry, folks. It's not just a love story in Song of Solomon. These are the eternal, powerful words of God. Revelation to you. Why would I desire anything else? Why would I want my children to have anything else? Why as your pastor would I want you to have anything else? I implore you to see it as the authority that it is. Because when the scripture talks about us standing before the judgment seat or standing before God, when it's talking about the great white judgment, great white throne judgment, and it says the books were open, what books do you think that is? Think there's some other celestial book? We're going to be judged by the word of God. The lost will be condemned by it. Jesus said that we're going to be raised to life. Some to salvation and some to damnation. The Word of God is what we're going to be judged by. The power of Christ, the the cleansing power of the Spirit of God is what's going to enable us to stand that day. And the only way we're going to overcome is if we actually read it and believe it, apply it, obey it. Oh, Lord, you've got so much for me. I've got to get back to my notes. The Lord wants me to say this in Matthew chapter 7 where he talks about the wise builder and the foolish builder. The wise builder built his house upon a firm foundation. The foolish man built his house upon sand. And, and, and uh, when the winds came and the storm came against it, the, the, the house where it was built on sand fell with a great crash. But the one that was built on the firm foundation allowed it to stand. But what did the Lord liken that wisdom to? He says, for those who hear this word, the words of mind, and obey them is a wise builder. 
The one who hears my word and doesn't obey it is the foolish builder. We will stand firm through the storms of our life if we build upon the firm foundation of the word of God. Thirdly, I'm sorry, I need to hurry a little bit. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-5, through 5, we know now that not only do we need to continue, not only do we need to remember the authority of the Word, but we need to preach the Word. Beginning in verse 1, "...in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of His appearing in His kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the Word. Be prepared in season, and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead... To suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths, but you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. You know, when we get married, we do, you know, we give, we're given a charge and we make a vow, and we make this vow before God, before Jesus Christ. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is the same charge that Timothy got from Paul. In the sight of God and our Lord Jesus Christ, preach the gospel. Be ready in season and out of season. When I became a minister, I had to, I had to accept this charge. I had to accept this vow in my life. And folks, as I was ordained uh, several years back, this was spoken over me. This year ordination service, it'll be spoken over the new ordination candidates. It's, going to, it's spoken over all of us. Why is that? Because this is the charge. My challenge and my question to you, child of God, is, is this your charge in your life? Well, preacher, it's your job to preach. You're the preacher. You preach. That's why I call you preacher, preacher. I understand that. But we must understand also that as the people of God, we must be prepared to preach and teach. We must be prepared to be able to share And give an answer for, I believe the scripture says, for our faith. Right? So it's the same thing. Because like I said before, these things are unplanned that come up. And not just the crises, but even the disciplines. Even the rebuke is unplanned. You don't plan a week from now for somebody to do something that you've got to rebuke. So when things come up, you've got to know how to deal with it. And we've got to have the authority of the Word of God in our lives to do it. This is a for better or for worse covenant. I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to preach the Word. And I'm going to live that out in my life. But my question to you is, yes, it's an organizational principle, but what does my home look like? What does my life look like? And is this a core value for me? And Paul was so sure about the gospel that he shared in Galatians 1, 8 through 9. 8 and 9 says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. That word on a tema is talking about damned to hell. Eternal condemnation. Paul was so sure. He said that if I change it up, if I change it up, come back and now add to what I told you before, let me be eternally condemned. This was how sure Paul was in the message that he talked to them about. And he says, if an angel shows up, if a celestial being shows up in all of its glory and splendor, posing as an angel of light, teaches you something different than, oh, me, mere mortal man who's seen Jesus face to face, teaches something different than me, let that angel be eternally condemned. 
He was that sure in the message. Oh, if Muhammad would have only lived by this. You know why, don't you? Because he saw a vision of an angel that talked to him. Muhammad was the prophet. Oh, if Joseph Smith, first service I said Brigham Young, but Joseph Smith, if he would have just listened to this passage, he wouldn't have been confused in his doctrine. Folks, the Word of God is clear. It's before us. Nothing needs to be changed, nothing added to. Anything that's coming in to say that Christ is either not deity, that he was just a prophet, that he was just a teacher, anything to minimize his resurrection, his power, his authority, and removing the God title from him that Jesus is God is false. And anybody that teaches that or proclaims it or preaches it opposite, Paul says, let them be forever damned to hell. Some of you right now are saying, preacher just cussed at church today. Not frivolously, folks. This is serious stuff. This is, this is how serious Paul took the Word of God. And this is how serious we must apply it to our lives. And so if it's that serious, then we need to make sure that we're living it out in our lives. In closing this morning, we must capture the divine urgency of the gospel itself. In Romans 10, it says this, verses 13 through 15, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. From my knowledge and my understanding, Covington First Assembly has always had beautiful feet because we take the gospel to people. There is no better message than what you're going to find in this book. We have nothing to say apart from it. But when somebody is sent to preach, when somebody speaks the truth and love to us, how refreshing can that be? When I was a kid, <clears throat> did two different jobs that I was blessed to do on the farm. One was walking beans. Anybody ever walk beans before? You don't just walk them, you've got to pull the weeds. And you're supposed to pull them the right way, otherwise they're just going to come right back. I remember being 11, 12 years old and walking beans for a neighbor farmer and you get there at 6 o'clock in the morning and you're walking and the dew's heavy and all over you and your pants are, are, are just sopping wet and your socks are wet and the mud's just like stuck to the bottom of your feet. Occasionally you have to take the hoe and scrape the mud off just so you can walk. And you get to the end of the field. Well, the bad thing is about 10 o'clock in the middle of July, sun's up, humidity's up, plants are drying out, your clothes are drying out. And you're at the far end of a field going, my water jug is at the other end. <laughs> and then when you're a little guy, and when, when I was in sixth grade, I was walking beans, and there was a guy that was a senior in high school who was being scouted and followed around to be a Division I pitcher from Covington. And he liked to throw dirt clots. And he never missed. Anyway, I had to get past him and a few other goons. One of them, Roger Newkirk, but not naming names. 
His initials were Roger Newkirk. <laughs> Roger says, you were a mouthy little guy. I got to get past these guys to get to my water. I thought I was going to die. The other thing that I was blessed to do that kids don't do as much anymore today is I got to put up hay. You go football practice, do two a days, and dad said, hey, when you come home tonight, we're going to put up some hay. And I'll never forget this one time I got there and the baler had broke down the whole time dad was working. And I was picking, driving the tractor, picking up the hay, climbing up, stacking it, getting off, driving the tractor, carrying the bales, sticking it, and stacking it. I'd just put in two-a-day practices. Tired, thirsty. We finally got it done, got it thrown in the barn. Can I tell you that my grandma Becky at her house, there was a, a spigot outside with a hose on it. it. was the coldest, freshest water that I've ever had in my life. And when there was a group of us putting up hay, it seemed like I was always at the end of the line. And they're going, (sighs) 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 you say this, why why are you giving me this? So that you can capture what it's like to be thirsty and hungry for something. Folks, there are lost people all around you that are dying of thirst for truth and the Spirit of God and they don't even know that you have it. Us Christians, we're we're at the front of the line soaking up all the water. People are saying, can I have some? I'd I'd like a little. We fill ourselves with the Word of God and, and the cleansing of the Word of God, but there's a greater work than just what He wants to do in us. He wants to do a work in them. Amen? Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. The Lord made us broken vessels to pour into ourselves and allow the Spirit to pour into us and then out. Empty ourselves and watering others. Jesus told the woman at the well, out of your belly will come rivers of living water. Folks, where does water come from? It's a living well. Obviously, water speaks about the Spirit of God in our lives, but folks, I'm telling you, there's a well of depth of the power and presence and Spirit of God here for us to apply to our lives. Romans 10 verses 9 through 11 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. When I grasped that and I believed that and I received it, It was as cleansing as it was as cleansing as going to grandma's spigot and wiping off all that chaff and pouring it over my head. The filth being washed off of me, the cleansing power of God's grace in my life. 
how are we going to know if nobody preaches to somebody that that's available? If we never get the word in our spirit, how is anybody going to know that there's a cleansing? How is anybody else going to understand that there's hope? Covington First is organizationally a church that preaches the word, but it's a question and a challenge to the congregation. Are we a congregation that is in the word, that is feeding ourselves through the week? Because that's what it's about. So that God can do his work in others. His word that you carry with beautiful feet to the thirsty, to the hungry, to the dying, to the starving, and you begin to pour yourself out upon them and pour Christ out upon them and see them come to life. I've watched you do it. I've seen so many of you do it. It's the greatest thing. And it's the greatest thing to be a part of. Make this your life value. Make it your core value. And allow God to transform your life. Would you bow your head with me this morning? Father, we just come to you grateful. Grateful that there's a washing, there's a cleansing, that there's a, there's a renewing spirit in us and available to us. I pray, God, that if there be anybody in this group today that's not in the right place with you, Father, that they've never experienced that cleansing, that today they can. Would you by your Spirit just draw them? Draw them to your will. Wash them, Father. Cleanse them. Purify them by your Spirit. And out of their bellies will come rivers of living water. Life. If that's you today, you're here with heads bowed and eyes closed. If that's you, you say, Pastor, I need, to, I need that cleansing. I need that washing from God. Just simply with an uplifted hand, we want to pray for you. Man, I see that. I see it. Hallelujah. Some of you say, Pastor, I, I'm, I looked out here at believers. I see believers with their hands up. They just want to be cleansed again and washed again. If that's you. You say, Pastor, just, I want him to cleanse me and wash me again. If that's you. You just lift your hand. Yes. All over. Lord, just wash us. Just stand up where you're at. All of you. Just everybody. Just stand up where you're at. Just lift your hands to him. And just begin to ask Him, Father, would you just cleanse us? Just cleanse us with the washing of Your Word, O God. Would you just purify us, Lord? We invite Your rain and the snow of Your presence, of Your Word of God into our lives, Lord, that we will bud and bring forth fruit. (laughs) Wash this parched land, O God. Allow fruit to grow in this parched life of mine. God, it's easy to become thirsty. It's easy to become hungry after a week of struggling. Cleanse us together today, Lord. Fill us with Your Spirit, O God. Overflowing, Lord. Overflowing rivers of living water out of our core being, Lord. We just receive it today.